Well, good morning, everyone. And honestly, I'm not John Adamson, so... And if uh, you're here for a biblical Greek or Hebrew grammar, you're in the wrong class, so it's not me. But uh, let's open up with prayer before we dive into the the Word, and uh, we'll see how to run the race of faith. Lord, we are so gracious for your sovereignty over our lives that we can trust in you that we can run the faith uh, faith the race of faith lord that we can endure through trials and tribulations lord be with us as we open up your word instruct us teach us and help us to be obedient and that our our strength will be found in you we ask all these things in christ's name amen <clears throat> excuse me so where john left off Last week was Hebrews chapter 12, verse 12. Am I correct? Is it? Is what? Sounds about right? Okay. All all ties them together, pretty much the whole uh, chapter. And uh, I'll be uh, reading from the LSB, so if you guys are... I'm I'm the oddball. I'm sorry. I apologize. The Legacy Standard Bible. That's it. Hey, we got everything. So we'll we'll begin in verse 12, and we'll go all the way to uh, verse 17. The the author of Hebrews in verse 12. Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble. And make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all men, and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. Seeing to it that no one falls short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. That also there be no sexual, immoral, or godless person like Esau, who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place for repentance, though he sought for it with tears. I don't know if you guys know the story of uh, Eric Little. Uh... He's a famous. He was a famous Olympic runner back in the the twenties, the early twenties. If you ever seen the movie Chariots of Fire, that's based off a uh, off his life. And I suggest reading the book. Uh, at the Master's Seminary, uh, we were tasked to read the book for his glory, which is the biography of Eric Little. Such a great and impactful and motivating story of this guy who was one of the elite athletes of the time. Uh, Eric Little was a, a Scottishman who uh, who ran in the Olympics, won gold, and he had rivalries uh, during that time. But so he was a faithful Christian. He would uh, not run on Sundays because that was the Lord's Day. In the 1940s or 1920s, I'm sorry, July 5th, 
the eighth Olympics was held in Paris, France. 45 countries were represented. 60,000 spectators were there. And as a Christian, Eric still held to his conviction and refused to run the race because it was held on Sunday, which is the Lord's Day. As the Olympics drew near, the criticism of uh, Little's fanaticism, what people called it in the, the news, and what his uh, non-Christian uh, teammates and uh, rivalries called him, but he refused. He refused still. Even at the, uh, the push of and a temptation to just ignore his convictions. Harold Abraham was his rivalry when he ran the 100-meter prelim, and this was the this is a prelim race to go into the next stage of the Olympics, and and Abraham was uh, Abraham's was the their back and forth. Eric and Harold were. So on Tuesday, following the the prelims, Little and Abraham's both qualified for a place in the 200 meter final, and it's to be held on the following day. And Eric became the first Scott to ever bring home the medal in that race. Now, if you ever seen Eric uh, Little run, he had this unique run. People talk about it, and it talks about it in his biography. He always looked up. He always gazed at the sky. It almost seemed like he wasn't watching where he was running. And he had this unique running style. And he always gazed into the sky like he's gazing t- towards the Lord. And if you know Eric, he gave up the, the Olympics. He gave up uh, professional uh, ath- uh, athletics to go to be a missionary in China. His father was a missionary before him. And he was called to be in the mission field. A lot of money was thrown his way to go around and travel throughout the world to uh, be a, what's a, called a, an exhibit runner, to do exhibition runs and stuff like that, and get sponsors by these top dollar companies, these high profile companies. But he, Eric Little refused and he went to China. Well, if you know his story, he went to China and he uh, did the missionary work. The Chinese loved him. Uh, and this is during this time World War II or, uh, was happening. And the uh, Japanese took over China in this area where he was ministering in his village. And um, he was a motivator and an inspiration to the people in this concentration camp that he was in. He was held captive. He would give up his meals for people. He would uh, encourage people. He had Bible studies. He would teach people God's Word. He would pray with them. He was such an encouragement to people who were in their dire needs and were being afflicted by these horrendous uh, captors in this camp. The conditions were horrific disease and rodents and lack of food and uh, were abundant there. There was no hope. But Eric Little, being a Christian, 
gave people hope by being an encouragement. Eric Little ran the race of the faith. He endured the affliction that was brought upon him, but he didn't consider it loss. Eric uh, Little would end up dying in that camp. He developed a brain tumor, and they couldn't uh, stop it. So he ended up dying in that camp. They do have a memorial there in China, still to this day, uh, in that village. It's a pretty decent-sized memorial to Eric Little because the Chinese loved him. What a race that... He ran. What a race that we can run like him and those who've gone before him and and throughout history running the faith and that we're called to do the same. So this morning, we'll, we'll talk about four principles of living a sanctified life in Christ. This will help encourage us to run the race of faith. And we'll see in verse 12 that we are called... It says, therefore, it's referring back to the previous passages, right? The previous verses. Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble. I find that inter- interesting because there's going to be times when we are going to be weak. We're going to be feeble in our walk. But the author of Hebrews is saying, strengthen those. So that you won't fall into that position. We're called to persevere, to endure, to walk the life as a Christian, to be obedient to Christ. Our strength is found in Him. Just like Eric Little, he he preserved to the end and he endured both on and off the track. And in in that concentration camp, he would run races. People knew who he was. They knew that he was a gold medalist. A multi-winner, you know, first-place winner in the in his in running, and people were aware of him. But he didn't flaunt it. He actually sold, gave his uh, gold medals to the Chinese who were on the other side of the concentration camp, so they can sneak in food. He didn't have a care for these things of the world, these uh, accolades. But he stayed strengthened. His hands. During these, this time of affliction in the, in, in the camp, we must strengthen our hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble if we lag in the rut of despondency. You know, remember during this time when the author of Hebrews is writing, right? There's uh, the kind of pre Olympics style, the Greek uh, games, and uh, I'm not saying Apostle Paul wrote the book of Hebrews, but it's kind of like Apostle Paul-esque. Because the Apostle Paul talks about running the race constantly. And he always uses those uh, illustrations of running the race uh, like a gymnasium, like uh, running the the course, the track, training yourself in the way uh, Olympians or athletes would do. The, The diligence, the determination... The dedication that athletes have, that Paul and even the writer of Hebrews is telling us to have the same mindset as an athlete, to have dedication, determination, and train yourself. And Paul would say in, in Timothy, 
4, uh, 1 Timothy 4.7, train yourself in godliness. And the only way to do that is to be in God's Word. So that term strengthen literally means to make straight. Make straight. In the Greek, it's, uh, it's the term that we get orthos from, the orthopedics. And in Job 4, 3, and verse 4, it says, uses the same, same style of term. It says, Behold, you have disciplined many, and you have strengthened limp hands. Your words have helped the stumbling to stand, and you have encouraged feeble knees. So Job understood that daunting task of having weak hands and feeble knees and knows that the strength comes from the Lord. All Christians are called to run and there's nothing less than living out a Christian life through faith and endurance amid any hostility that's approached to us or given to us, inflicted upon us. When we are struggling, weak and feeble, and with no strength, the only hope we can turn to is Jesus Christ. And previous in Hebrews, I believe you talked about last week in Hebrews 12, verse 2, it says, When you're during these times, you're fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Our life will, yes, will sometimes wear upon us, beat us down. We go through those times of difficulty. But we need to fix our eyes upon Jesus because He is the author and perfecter of our faith. Because He endured the cross. Jesus said there will be persecution difficulties in life. But we're... And like what the prosperity and health and wealth gospel uh, preachers say, Jesus said, you will endure persecution. In John 15, verses 18 through 20, he says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because this world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is no greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they keep my word, they will keep yours also. We can't fall in the trap and think that we won't have a persecuted life. If they persecuted Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who do we think we are to say we're going to bypass all the affliction and persecution that he dealt with. And in Hebrews again, verse 1 says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses around us, laying aside every weight and the sin which so easily entangles us, let us run with endurance the race that is set before, before us. We have, when you get in chapter 12, we just came out of the the hall of faith, right? You know, all these great people who had the faith and run the race. These are the witnesses. And through for us, as ch- throughout church history, we have greater witnesses that have gone throughout church history who endured the race. I think of Athanasius, who was exiled five times because 
He stood up for sound doctrine. He held the faith. I think of John Huss, who went to the stake, holding his convictions against the Roman Catholic Church, and is ultimately killed by being burned at the stake. And while he's being burned at the stake, he was singing psalms. Man, what courage and what what a mindset he has to be fixed on Christ that he can endure the flames that was set at his feet. You can go on and on. I think of John Rogers, the first Marian martyr in 1555. He was the uh, he helped finish the Matthew's Bible translation, which was started by William Tyndale, who was killed. And John Rogers ended up finishing the Matthew's Bible translation, but he spoke out, uh, out against a queen. Mary, who is known as Bloody Mary. She killed approximately 300 Christians, Protestant Christians. John Rogers stood against what she was doing, and he was led to the stake and burned. And but on, I remember this uh, story about him. But on the way to the stake, his, while he was in prison for a year, his wife uh, was pre- uh, pregnant, and she gave birth to their 11th son. And he never seen his kid. The only time he saw his son as when his wife was walking alongside him as he's being led to the stake. That's the last time he saw his wife. And that's the first time and the last time he saw his newborn son. But he was encouraged. And in that story, John Rogers, why I talk about John Rogers, uh, through the Master Seminary, we had to do a spiritual heritage uh, timeline and John Rogers is my 16th great grandfather. And so, knowing his stories is very encouraging. But as he's being led to the stake, his church congregation was cheering him on, encouraging him to endure, to run the race of faith, and what he did. So we have all these witnesses throughout history that we can, we can that surround us that we know that can motivate us to continue to run the, this race with endurance. That's a great encouragement. How many uh, have run have done athletics in their life? The 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 dedication, the training that goes into that. I mean, whatever you put into it is whatever you get out of it, right? Some have to work harder. Some are just naturally gifted at things. But if you notice, the greatest athletes, they still train and they're hard, they're dedicated. We need to do that as Christians. We need to be dedicated and train ourselves in godliness. We need to run that endurance, that faith of endurance. I forgot to tell you the first title of that. The first... Heading, sorry, is continuing in the faith. That's verse 12. Continuing in the faith. So Hebrews 12.3 goes on, For considering him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so for you will not grow weary, fainting in heart. For consider him, that's Jesus, 
That's such encouragement to know that the life of Jesus and what He went through, the scourging, the, the affliction of the cross, the, being spat upon, being beat by the people He, His people that He chose, His nation that He chose, spat upon Him and beat Him. But if you have a faint of heart, don't grow weary because Christ endured greater hostility than ever we can. So our, our second heading will be continue to obey the Lord. Continue to obey the Lord. In verse 13, it says, And make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. To make straight this is the, the again the word orthos that's it's unbent to to have a, a great posture. You know, I'm getting the, to the point where I'm starting to hunch over myself. I I think it's with being tall. You're like you're constantly ducking throughout life. So, oh, I st- when I graduate high school, I ended up six four. I'm going to probably end up five four. So, but so. But it's this, this having a posture. And Jesus, we know the story in Luke, where if you remember, it's the woman who had the bent back for years, and she wasn't able to stand up. And it says in Luke 13, verses 11, and we'll read thir- uh, verse 13, it says, And behold, there was a woman for 18 years had a sickness caused by a spirit, and she was bent double. She was bent over. She was, she went, her back wasn't straightened. And she couldn't straighten up at all. She couldn't stand up. In verse 13, And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made erect again and became and began glorifying God. So it's the same style. It's this strength in your back is not being bent over, doubled over. It's, it's having a proper position. I think of the old English, uh, like the royalty, where they had to do sit at tables that were put books on their head and walk around and have great posture and stuff like that. That's kind of like what Christians, we have to walk around, we have to train ourselves to have the strength to make straight the pass of our feet. And the only way to make straight your pass of our feet is, what is it? Obedience. The obedience. Mm-hmm. And where we find obedience, how we be obedient, we be obedient in God's Word. So, the training God on this, if you want to know how to be godly, Read God's Word. Sometimes the Christians make things complicated. Where they think there's some kind of mysterious or mystic you know, thing you have to obtain. But no, it's simple. If you want to learn how to live a life like Christ, to be obedient, to have the mind of Christ, open up the Scriptures. Absorb it in your mind and heart and let it practically play out in your life we are to walk in obedience we are to walk in a path of righteousness and we'll see Christians and fellow brothers and sisters struggle with this at times and that's when we need to come as believers, uh, those who are strong, come along the the weak in the faith, to practice those one another's I think there's like 39 or so one another's throughout uh, the New Testament just come alongside that person to encourage them. It's kind of like somebody uh, in a race, going back to the Eric Little story, somebody uh, pulling a hamstring. 
and you come alongside them and carrying them along so they can finish the race. That's what we need to do with fellow brothers and sisters who are struggling in the faith, is come alongside them when they're, they are struggling. In this verse, we see that the person is described as lame, and this is not just a, an eternal ailment, but an eternal illness. The illness has crippled them. The illness requires healing. Within the church, there are many with disease, illness, injury, etc. But the Lord promised to look after His own people. You're not guaranteed to be healed by all means. The Apostle Paul wasn't. He had a, a thorn in his side. He had elements. He's going blind. The thorn in his side was false teachers. Timothy had almost like a ulcers, stomach issues. The stress that the these people are causing him in the church of Ephesus, where Timothy or Paul tells or instructs Timothy to take some wine to help ease that pain. But God will protect you in the sense that He watches out for you. He knows what's good for you. We find that in Ezekiel thirty four, eleven through twelve. It says, Thus says Lord Yahweh, Behold, I myself will seek my sheep and care for them, as a shepherd cares for his herd in the day when he is among his sheep, which are spread out. So I will care for my sheep, and I will deliver them from all the places to which they were scattered on a cloudy and gloomy day. Ultimately, God will care for you and take care for your needs. It may not be what you desire, or want. Uh, that's understanding what God's will is for your life. And you find that through Scripture. And Proverbs 4.26 says, Watch the track of your feet, and all your ways will be established. Pay attention where you're walking. Be guided by the Word. Be guided by the Holy Spirit. I mean, we live in a generation, there's so. People are always on their phone walking around. You see videos of people walking into fountains of you know, water because their head's down looking at a phone, walking into pools and objects. Get hit by cars. Yeah, get hit by cars. Just constantly looking down. So watch what your path you're on. And the only way to know what your path is on is, is it aligned with the Word of God. Remember, the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 10.5 calls us to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. We don't need to inundate ourselves with the, the philosophies of the world, the, uh, these false teachings, these ideologies that we see nowadays. We're, we're in a post-truth society. If if you haven't seen that or aware of that yet, it's going to hit you like like a dump truck because we're in a post-truth society. And we saw that at Wide Awake. We see that continuing uh, happening, uh, businesses capitulating to uh, the council culture. Uh, there's no truth. It's whatever, whatever you believe is true, may not be truth for me. So there's no absolute truth anymore. It's, it's boggling my mind to think, you know, 2 plus 2 equals 5 now. So 
Uh, math is even considered racist, so which I don't ha- understand how they get stuff like that. But but we need to take er- the, our thoughts captive. We need to have the mind of Christ. We need to be obedient to Christ, so that we won't be tricked or bewitched by these false philosophies or ide- ideologies. And Jesus warns us, and he instructs us in John fifteen fourteen, "You are my friends if you do what I command you." And he goes on in chapter fourteen, or the previous chapter of John, verse fifteen. He says, "If you love me, you will keep my commandments." What a great test! If you love Jesus Christ, is are you being obedient to Him? Yeah, we all struggle, we all slip up. But are you being obedient to Him? That's pretty black and white. If you love me, you obey me. So, I love the black and white of uh, the Apostle John too as well. John, Second John 1, 6. It says, And this is love that we walk according to His commandments, Jesus' commandments. This is the commandment, just as you heard from the beginning, that you should walk in it. If you claim to be a Christian but not obey Christ's commandments, then you are not of Him. What a what a tragedy it would be for those who are following the category of Matthew seven, you know, verses twenty-one through twenty-three, where people uh, are Pharisaical, they're on the outward appearance, seems like they're doing all these religious. Things I served you, Lord. I did these things in your name, Lord. But in their heart, they were dead. And were Christ, they will come before Christ, and Christ will say, "Depart from me, for I never knew you, you workers of lawlessness." What a what a sobering fact for me. That's like a motivation to make sure I'm being obedient to Christ and a legitimate and a genuine obedience to Christ. Our third point, continue to be peacemakers. Continue to be peacemakers. In verse 14, pursue peace with all men and the sanctification with, without which no one will see the Lord. Peace with all men. Sometimes it's, that's hard. That's difficult. I preached up in Tatchby, and this is one of my verses in Romans twelve eighteen. As the Apostle Paul is telling you, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. So he's there's some play there. If possible, he's not saying you have to have peace with all men at all times. There's going to be moments in your life that you can't have peace. There's no reconciliation. But he throws in this little jab at you. And he says, so far as it depends on you. Don't worry about the other person trying to seek peace. Worry about yourself seeking peace. It depends on you. So yeah, we seek peace. We're not supposed to be rebel rousers and protesters and all this what the society wants now. 
Jesus in the Beatitudes, it says in Matthew 5, 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And in Psalm 34, 14, it says, Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Pursue peace. Uh, Psalm 34, 14. Think about David's life. I mean, before he was fully king, he was being hunted by Saul. And David wanted peace, but he couldn't seem to get it. But he pursued it. And I was reminded of the story where uh, David was hiding in the cave, and Saul comes in there to use the restroom. And David sneaks and cuts a piece of his garment off. And later on, Saul finds out David had the opportunity to kill Saul. And Saul was so gracious for that. But David sought peace. He pursued it. We should pursue it as well. But without compromising uh, God's Word, our convictions. It's tough, and uh, especially if you work in uh, the the industries here, the you're outside of the church. And I, I think of Nate, who he had to deal with uh, talking uh, wide awake, just all the the push upon you these things that are, come from the outside world, these philosophies, these ideologies. Hey, you have to accept these things. Just uh, just be quiet. Just go on. It's like the Pied Piper leaving, you know, leaving the rats to be drowned. So you don't have to compromise, but you don't have to be uh, evil about it. Do good. So what we say, how how we say it, sometimes causes more harm. This uh, this this uh, not seeking peace is with some of the things. I think of in Proverbs 15.1, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. How many times have we uh, spoke before we thought, right? You know, the words come out of our mouth and we're like, I wish I can grab those and shove them back in my mouth, <laughs> right? We've all been there. And, or you said something, you uh, later on you're at your house or somewhere else and you think about, man, that could have came off. Wrong. Man, it happens so much with text messaging. Yeah. Right? It's, uh, you can destroy a friendship or a relationship easily by somebody misreading a text message. Because there's no emotion. There's no, you can't see the facial expressions in the, in the text message. Even though you have emojis. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah. Choose... Be gentle with how you talk to people. I mean, you know, the whole uh, growing up, you know, be kind to others and kind of that. When it talks about Romans, when you pursue peace, it's like heaping coals upon their head, hot coals upon their head. And that that term, hot coals upon someone's head, is an Egyptian uh, practice, a tradition where. It wasn't. It was a pot of coals. They walked around uh, to demonstrate that they were shameful and guilty of how they acted or treated somebody. 
that's the whole term. You don't actually physically put heaping coals, hot coals upon somebody's head. It's just the idea of like your pursuit of peace in somebody's life and being kind and gentle to them would cause them to hopefully see be guilty and shame shameful in their actions. How many of you, uh, when you're considering your conversation and choosing your words, uh, that's they they weren't reflective or or being edifying? That you want to relive that conversation, or you have to go seek reconciliation? In Proverbs seventeen fourteen it says the beginning of strife is like letting out water. So abandon the dispute before it breaks out. It's like chipping at a dam. Your words could be and eventually the dam breaks and it just gushes and it destroys everybody, including you in your path. But Jesus called us in Mark 9.50. And before that, He calls us to be salt in the world, right? And light as well. And He says about this, about salt. Salt is good. But if the salt becomes unsalty, with what will make it, what will make it salty again? Have salt in yourself and be at peace with one another. We all know, we probably heard that Salt was a preservative back then. There's no refrigerators. They salted everything to, so it went to go bad. We need to be like that. We need to preserve ourselves. Uh, throw salt on us that we will be kind and we want to lose that preservative in this world that's hostile towards us. And one of the, uh, in the fruit of the Spirit, is one of the characteristics is have a characteristic of peace. And to be salt, to be a preservative to the world, you must, in what Colossians 3.16 says, you must have the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Richly, that's have it dwell in you abundantly. It's not this hit and miss uh, occasional devotionals it's a deep dive into God's Word. How many uh, of us don't practice the dis- disciplines, the spiritual disciplines? Like, yeah, we can read the Word, but do we meditate on the Word? What is the Word teaching us? What are the truths found in it? How does it apply to our lives? How am I supposed to allow the Word to conform us to the image of Christ? This, the Word of Christ needs to be abundantly dwelling in us. But not only does the writer of Hebrews call us to, to seek peace with others, but to be sanctified, to be holy. In the second half of verse 14 it says, "...and the sanctification with, without which no one will see the Lord." That sanctified, a sanctification is is the holiness, being holy. In the first Peter one fifteen, 
and 16, like the Holy One, God, who, who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your conduct. Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. We are called to, be, to live holy lives in Christ. We are called to be set apart. We are called to pursue living a holy life. And Jesus talks about this in the Beatitudes in Matthew 5 eight. Blessed are the pure in heart. That's the being holy and set apart. For they shall see God. So to have the mind of Christ, we should seek holiness. And this all t- ties in together to the obedience, being obedient and seeking peace and holy. If you seek the mind of Christ and what Christ calls you to be, holiness, He will sanctify you. He promises us in His Word that uh, we will be sanctified. It's the work of Him. But we're not passive participants in it. We need to be active participants in it. It's mortifying your sin when you have sin in your life. Yeah, we have the Holy Spirit guiding us and helping us to mortify that sin, but we need to be participants in it as well. We can't just sit, okay, you got this, Lord. There's no Jesus take the will mentality. That's that's uh, that's idiotic to say. Imagine you're in a car saying, "Jesus take the will." Guess what? He's not going to take the will. You're going to crash into something. You got to participate. You got to be active in taking the will. So we seek holiness in our lives. I love the the Puritan Richard Baxter. He says, Nothing else but the habitual and predominant devotion and dedication of soul and body and life and all that we have to God and esteeming God and esteeming and loving and serving and seeking Him before all pleasures and prosperity of the flesh. Before we put our needs and what we want in our life, we have to be dedicated and seek and esteem the Lord and seek Him and serve Him in all we do. And the last heading is continue to be watchful and guarded. In verses 15 through 17, it's seen to it that no one falls short of the grace of God, but that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by many be defiled, that also there are no sexual, immoral, or godless person like Esau, who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought for it with tears. In verse 15, we must pursue peace and holiness in our life, as previously stated in verse 14. But this will require examination. When you examine our lives and stop any inkling of sin in our life that would cause us to fall short of the grace of God. Now the writer of Hebrews also talks and mentions and hits on apostasy as well. The apostates, those who uh, 
were under the sound teaching, but walked away. And, and John, and First John talks about they were they they departed from us because they never were of us. We see that in the Roman Catholic Church today. They they once had the truth, but they no longer hold to sound doctrine anymore. They're apostates. So the grace of God has us positionally set us on the right path. And the faith that we that has given to us by the Lord Jesus Christ, and the faith we have in the Lord Jesus Christ, He has set us on the right path. We just need to walk that path. We just need to continue on the righteous path that has been set before us. And the writer of Hebrews gives us what some things to be watchful of. Be watchful that you may not fall short of the grace of God. Be watchful that there is no root of bitterness in you or sin in your life. Be watchful that you do not defile yourself. It's that integrity kind of mindset, you know, do what is good even though nobody's looking. But it's more than that. What kind of character, what kind of uh, description do people give of you? Is it one of righteousness, holiness, obedience? Do they see Christ in your life? There's something different about you that's different than the world? That should be easily seen today since there's such a dividing line between non-believers and believers. Yeah, within the evangelical church, it's kind of could be obscured. But we'll see that kind of, I, I believe we'll see that kind of will dwindle in the future because the church is being persecuted against. You know, they'll become heavier, become more intense as the years go on. John Calvin said that uh, where there's persecution, there's purifying of the church. So we need to watch out and guard ourselves against these things. Deuteronomy 29.18 Lest there be among you a root bearing poisonous fruit and wormwood. Having, having the root of bitterness, that's like digging down deep. It's setting its, its, its a foundation and deep in the ground embedded in there. Once you do that, it's hard to get rid of. If you ever try to pull a, tea, a tree stump before, it's difficult. Once you allow it to root, like the sequoias we see up there, they intertwine with one another, right? They, their roots weave among them. That's how Christians should be. To have the same mindset. We should intertwine with one another like, like the sequoias do and have sound teaching and serve the Lord alongside each other. We should be rooted in that, rooted in uh, Christ, rooted in His Word. If we're all on that same page, then nothing can knock us down. It can be like the oak tree that's solid as well. The writer of Hebrews gives us an example of somebody who fell short, had a root of bitterness, defiled himself. And that's in the life of Esau. 
this gives an example of how a man who is, is an example of being ill-religious person in the Old Testament. He wasn't charged with any fornication unless you uh, mention his two daughters of Heth who um, made life bitter for his parents in Genesis 26-34. But the post-biblical tradition it made Esau a vicious person, a character, who he was. Philo interprets the statement uh, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field and that's found in Genesis 25-27. He says this is what he believes it means. That it says, Vice which hunts after the passions to is unfit by nature to dwell in the city of virtue, but pursues a boorish and undisciplined life in complete senselessness. So Esau's life would just flippantly didn't care about it. You, we know the story where he sold his birthright for some food. He didn't uh, seek the Lord in that. The birthright, the firstborn, was uh, an important uh, position amongst the family and among, uh, in God's eyes as well. But he just gave it up like it's no big deal because of food. The description of Esau elsewhere in Genesis twenty-seven eleven says that you know we understand that he was a hairy man, that he was unrestrained, he was impure and an unholy man. But Esau, his life was turned upside down by what he did by one act. One act. He would be sent out apart find a, a nation the Edomites which uh, Jacob and Esau they were rivalries brothers or rivalries until they finally had some reconciliation Jacob was afraid of Esau rightly, rightly so rightly so he tricked his dad and his brother as well. But the author of Hebrews wishes to drive home the point that only tears and rejection await for those who sell out the inheritance that God promises to His children. If you sell out and you reject what God has given you in the faith, that's what awaits you. is tears and remorse and Sadness, and that's what Esau realized. So we must be on guard and watchful of our life and how we act and how we our character is and are we being like Christ? Are we pursuing Christ? Are we pursuing holiness? Are you pursuing obedience to the Lord? Are you running the race of faith in Christ? Are you training yourself in godliness? Are you being diligent to study the Word of God in order to have a mind of Christ? 
Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 2.16, For who has known the mind of the Lord, that He will direct Him? But we have the mind of Christ. In Romans 12, I'll end with this, 12.2, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may approve what the will of God is, that which is good and pleasing and perfect. Your mind needs to be renewed, and it needs to be the mind of Christ. This is how you know the will of God. Are we going to run the race like Eric Little did, who endured, who sacrificed the pleasures of this world, the notoriety of this world, to serve his God and King? That's what we should do. Run the race of faith. So when we enter heaven, we can hear those words, well done and good and faithful servant. And Paul echoed those, I have run the race of the faith. Let us have that mindset, the mind of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we do desire to have the mind of your Son, to be obedient like Him. What a great example for us. The ultimate example that we have. Lord, help us to be diligent, dedicated to You and to serve You, to esteem You above all things. Lord, may Your Word transform our minds and our hearts that we can be sanctified and holy. That we can pursue peace. Because we have peace in You, Lord. When You saved us from our wretched sin. Lord, You reconciled us unto Yourself. We are so gracious for that, Lord. Help us as Christians to live a life worthy of the calling that You have called us to. Lord, be with us this day, Lord. Prepare our minds and our hearts for worship. That our minds be affixed upon You. That as we sing hymns of praise as we hear the word proclaimed from the pulpit, as we take communion, Lord, if there's any sin in us, Lord, may we confess it to You that we would be worthy to take the elements of communion. Help us to worship You completely. Lord, be with us this day, this Lord's day. May be glorifying to You. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.